Hello friends, we are glad you're here because today we're talking wedges, the rising cost of rain gear, and is it time for new equipment or do you just need old fashioned lessons? This is episode number 58 of No Putts Given. Let's get it. All right, this week again, we've got Tony, Harry, and Chris. Guys, what's up? How you doing? I'm tired. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing great. I got cake. Today on No Cakes Given. Well, anyway, shall we jump right into our topics today? Tony, this week you wrote about Callaway's new... Um, <laughs> what's that one, Chris? Sorry. USA? USA. Oh, is it the bottom of the bulldog? No. Oh, no. no. This one, one side you get the uh, Statue of Liberty. So I'll show it here and show you guys. So you get Statue of Liberty. And then anybody want to guess what's on the other side? Harry, what do you think would be on the opposite the side of the, the Statue the White of House? Liberty? Oh, no, yeah, let's look Steak. Here, yeah. yeah, it's probably obesity. <laughs> oh, obesity. What else is more quintessentially American than obese people? Fried, no? I don't know, nope. fried foods. Fried chicken. On fire. fire. It says on fire. <laughs> the fire seems to be a recurring theme with these, this that's, line. That's not covers. a good subject right now. I mean, half of America yeah. is in fire. I, Hey, yeah. I don't I don't make the head covers. I just pick them out of the box. Anyway, topic number one before Chris pulls another head cover out of the box. Tony, earlier this week you wrote on Callaway's new um, CB wedge. It's Mac Daddy, right? Mac Daddy CB. All right. What? So this Mac begs Daddy. the question for me. This is a more forgiving wedge, correct? It is. But most golfers, they have blade wedges in their bag, don't they? Which is the equivalent of what a pro would use. So should more golfers be playing cavity back wedges and put their egos aside and get rid of the blades? Yeah, probably, I think is the safe answer. Like, as I said in the article, it's, it's kind of there's a there's an inherent contradiction because you you have the overwhelming majority of irons sold on the market or in the, the game improvement or super game improvement space. And then the overwhelming majority of wedges are these blade style, you know, minimal forgiveness, hard to hit type of things on paper. So that's sort of the, the argument is, hey, if you, you play these forgiving irons, you should also play a forgiving wedge. Now, the counter to that argument is you are going to get a little more versatility, technically a little bit of what gets called control with, with the blade style wedge. And the thing to consider, too, is once you get past say 52 degrees so it would be the high end of, of the modern gap wedge range the forgiveness that you get from cavity designs really starts to to fall off because so much of the performance is just driven by the loft of the club itself and so if you're the golfer who likes to open up the club manipulate it a bit do funky things with it out of the bunker you're probably going to be better off trading the a little bit of extra forgiveness for for the greater versatility so you know, again, the, the deciding point is if you just kind of use your wedges square faced and, and don't do much with them beyond that, then yeah, you're probably going to benefit from the cavity back. But if you if you try and get cute and clever and fancy around a green, then then blade style wedges are probably the way to go. Chris, if people are looking for forgiving clubs and we're saying that the cavity back is probably more forgiving, why do you think that most golfers play a blade wedge? Um, options. 
You know, really to date, that's kind of been uh, the option on the market and blade design, wedge design really hasn't evolved a whole lot. I mean, you go back to Wilson's R90, you go back to, I think we talked about some of this in the Mizuno ES21 wedge article that that really you can make an argument that, that there are elements of a typical blade wedge design that are maybe actually counterproductive for a lot of golfers and but really, that's kind of been the only option. And like Tony mentioned, you kind of saw the you know pendulum swing all the way back on the other side. So you had wedges like sure out wedge, right? And you had some of these that were you know game improvement or really super game improvement wedges. So it was such a big step away from the traditional blade wedge that really wasn't close enough to get that person that's maybe kind of interested saying, okay, yeah, I would look at that. Whereas these wedges, one specifically from this week with the, the Mac Daddy CB and uh, you know, probably throw Cleveland CBX in there as well. They I think look, you have to. <laughs> I think you kind of, I mean, they kind of, they're, I mean, they're first one there, right? And there are and some similarities. There are a couple of similarities, <laughs> but it gives golfers that option. Yeah, they're slightly bigger, what, three to five percent bigger, uh, keeping a lot of the technologies of the blade wedges. So they're close enough now that it is a viable option for that person that is actually willing to look at that and so really it's just a you know a, a market issue that there wasn't the opportunity um for that but the one question i did have uh, around this and is really kind of what tony pointed to there's when does loft take over in place of forgiveness right like what is that dividing point is it 52 degrees is it 54 is it 56 where the loft of the club is is high enough such as to mitigate any benefits that you get from the cavity back waiting you know where where is that where it's like okay i'm gonna be better off going with a, a specific grind as opposed to cavity back forgiveness that maybe it sounds like a lab test oh you can you can look at the way a lot of sets are designed these kind of the high-tech sets if you will where you've got you know like slots in the sole and inserts and all kinds of funky stuff going on and typically what you see in those designs is when you when you transition from the seven iron to the eight iron, that's a, typically where that that the tech starts to fall off. And that is the point at which, you know, and the reason for that is because, again, the, the loft is playing a, a much bigger role in, in the forgiveness equation, if you will. And it's not, you know, it's not an absolute cutoff where, all right, hey, forgiveness ends here. And then everything else is the same, but that that's kind of where the scales start to tip, and you you see sort of the the decline in, and I guess what you would say is the the importance of forgiveness, and so you know that's why too you see a lot of guys who uh, boy Lenny really wants to be a part of the show today. Um, that, that's, Hi Lenny. <laughs> at least Chris, I know I don't know Harry. I think probably has a combo set as well. But that's where you start to make that decision as well. Like, hey, do I, is this where I go from the, the cavity back and start thinking about maybe I could get away with a blade here beginning at the, the seven or eight iron? Or is this the point at which I move from the, the big forgiving long irons into a, a moderate cavity back? Whatever kind of the decision point where, you know, your a, point A and point B are, it usually is in that, that eight iron space where those conversations happen. Yeah, and that it goes back to a conversation I think we were having uh, maybe with Chris uh, Vachel at uh, at Mizuno when MP20 stuff coming out, kind of talking about okay, when you know people that are going to combo these, when do you guys start to see that? Um, it I don't know again analogies. I think that like uh, one of my daughters wanted to dye her hair like an ombre type thing you know so like you have it one color and then it is starts this, is, to that a, is that a color <laughs> it's a thing yeah it's totally a thing and it just starts to shift 
to a different color and it kind of fades into that. And so if that, that here, Tony, uh, I can I can give you an example okay. a little bit. Yeah, there you, you go. You look in there, you see so how it's dark that's on the a, top. That's a seven iron. And then it kind of like goes There's your gradually eight iron. into blonde. Now yeah. you're down to your and nine got, iron. I've got some dimension in there. And now you're in the gap. I'll get this wedge. done tomorrow, so it won't be here tomorrow. So it's a good thing we're having this lesson today. That's. <laughs> Sort of on. I don't it's, understand, girl. It's hey. actually technically called balayage. Ombre's the older. I could, but, you know, <laughs> you know. I, we'll have a lesson on this later. So my point is <laughs> this: it remains that it's. <clears throat> so if it really is for better players, in that eight, call it seven, eight iron, eight, nine iron. Your, your eight irons, call it you know thirty-eight degrees. Uh, plus or minus in a in a traditionally lofted set. Now I totally agree with that, and 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 you see. That's why when you get to that 52, 54, 56, a lot of times better player, you're not even thinking about forgiveness. You're thinking about the grind and the shot making capabilities and how do I use this around the green. So if I were to go to a, you know, if I'm playing eight, nine wedge in a blade or even nine or pitching wedge or gap wedge in a blade, it's not like I'm going to go to a 56 or 60 in a cavity back wedge for forgiveness at that point. That really isn't who this is targeted for. But I did want to point out, this is a huge opportunity for um, for wedge companies, right? This is a part of the market that Titleist does not own, that Titleist does not dominate, and Titleist does dominate, you know, on tour, retail, etc. That blade wedge space, particularly for better players, because there hasn't been another option. So if I'm again Callaway, Cleveland, etc., and I'm chasing, and this is a part of the sandbox that that Titleist isn't playing in. It's a huge opportunity for them to gain some type of meaningful market share by doing something that Titleist is probably not going to do and certainly isn't going to do right away. Harry, what about you? What do you play and what do you think the differences are? Um, I mean, I play the, the, the traditional blade just because I do end up playing a lot more shot types around the greens. Like I, I need to play a low spinny one that needs to get up and over a bunker. i Kind of play off the back foot, open the club face, use the balance, that kind of stuff. My only advice would be is if you don't know how to do that and you, you don't know how to pull it off consistently, go and get a cavity back wedge just so you can get some consistency in in your shots. I mean, if you're looking at it and you're trying to do all these shots and blading it and thinning it across the green, your strokes gain is going to go from, uh, it's going to go up dramatically so just get some consistency get it on the green two putt walk away or whatever it is i think a lot of guys just it's an ego thing like like tony suggested and chris it's it's more of what you think that you should play because you see a lot of them on tour and you think you know it's only wedges it's easy but when it actually comes to reality if you consistently thin it fat it or whatever go for the most consistent um, wedge out there which would be cavity back especially in the bunkers because those ones with the huge sole I mean that smart sole with Cleveland um, it, it, it really gives you a little bit more um, forgiveness to get it out of those bunkers uh, and I know bunkers are one that are very inconsistent for golfers Harry, we're going to keep it in your court here a little bit. Um, earlier this week we put out the Rain Gear Buyer's Guide. Oh and- my god yeah. <laughs> okay, like sons of bitches. A thousand dollars for a rain suit? Like you've got to be kidding me a little bit. It is overpriced. Yes. What was that? The was that a shoes that was a thousand? K K juice. Yeah, juice. Yeah, shoes. Pronounced yes. shoes. You have to say but, like a Swedish chef, like shoes, 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 shoes
Um, so basically, yes, it's a thousand dollars. These rain suits are phenomenal. They, they. This was the hardest well, test okay. this year. Uh, but are people melting? That's what I don't understand. Like, <laughs> it, it, what are we protecting them against? Rain. We're well, not if, sugar. If, you, if you're us in America right now, we only play in sunshine. That's the thing. If you go to Scotland, they don't know what sunshine is. So they go and play in any conditions in any time of the year. So you're going to have to adapt to those conditions. Now you have to have a rain suit. And if I was going to buy a rain suit, I want to buy the one that's going to keep me dry throughout the whole round. And it's going to cost you some money. Now, if you if you break it down by a month, those $1,000 for the rain suit, you're looking about $8 a month for five years so when you break it down like that's that a lot. well if you break it down like that if you have a, if you have a scary i almost pay that much for netflix <laughs> if you if you if you're scared of that price tag just break it down to something that you think you can relate to and yes it is expensive and should it be that expensive no but should a driver be 550 dollars should pxg irons be you know, X amount of dollars a club. Like, you should you be paying three grand for a set? $20 to me might be $20 different to you. Fair. Very fair. I'm going to come back to you after I check in with Tony and Chris because our job, and Harry, your job, is not to determine the prices. It's to test them. And if it come, if the $1,000 rain suit comes back as the best rain suit, so be it. That's our job to present that information. But, Tony, <laughs> how much would you pay for a rain suit if you if you wanted to go out there it was my it's raining today if you wanted to go play today or at least it is in virginia i don't know about new york but um if you wanted to go play today how much would you pay for a rain suit to keep you dry while you played yeah i don't i don't know that i have an answer to that i'm i'm in a position where i can say comfortably that you know, if I if I get a little bit lucky, I'll get my fifth round of the year in uh, <laughs> this weekend. And, and so, you know, using using Harry's per use formula or per year formula, I don't. Boy, it's going to take me a while to get a thousand dollars of value out of that. Um, that said, I have been on the course. I remember in my Tuesday night league several years ago, we had one of those totally unexpected torrential downpours where everybody's just scrambling to get rain gear out as as soon as they quickly uh, quickly as they possibly can. And you get into the restaurant afterwards, and it really is like a, a quality check on everybody's rain gear. And so, <laughs> you know, it's 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 one of those things where we we joke about the umbrellas, and you know, maybe to the even the ball retrievers to an extent. It's one of those things where it seems like a preposterous amount of money to to spend until you're in that situation where you really wish you had spent it and gotten something that actually does yeah. the job well. So I, I don't know if, if it takes a thousand dollars to get that. And if, you know, I'm not suggesting everybody needs to go out and buy themselves some shoes, rain gear, but uh, yeah, I think it's, it's probably worth paying for at least, you know, the difference between good rain gear and, and okay rain gear. Chris, what about you? What's your cap on rain gear? How valuable is it to you? I love this conversation because it <laughs> it brings out the absolute idiot in everybody out there. And, <laughs> and what I love about it is it, it's, it is, it's totally perspective, right? And so you see people that 
are going, uh, you know, a, a thousand different directions. And yeah, if I'm a recreational golfer and I'm going to go play five, 10 times a year, whatever the case is. And yeah, I'm absolutely spoiled because I play in America. So we're already kind of fair weather golfers as is a thousand dollars seems absolutely ridiculous. Right. Um, so I thought about it a little bit because shoes has, has presence right in the ski industry. And that's really where a lot of the technology and stuff is coming over from. And mm-hmm. so being here in Colorado, go up to the mountains and see anybody that works on a mountain or skis X number of days a year. And a lot of those people have invested a fair bit of money in, you know, what they're wearing because they want to stay warm. They want to stay dry, whatever the case is. And you talk to those people and say, Hey, would you spend $500 on a good ski jacket? And they'd say, yeah, absolutely. No brainer because I'm going to use it X number of times, right? Um, and, and that's kind of where, you know, Harry's per use formula and, and, and some of that stuff comes in. Um, one of our daughters plays soccer on one of these travel teams, right? And so they're training and playing in different environments and whatever. And so when they get like their team gear, yeah, absolutely. We're buying the the higher end stuff because they're going to be out in those elements over and over and over. And they don't get a choice to say, oh, sorry, we're not playing today. Oh, take a rain check. We're going to play again tomorrow. So if that's your element and that's where you're involved, it, it that's where the argument gets a lot more solid to spend that amount of money because you'll probably spend it once. You mentioned cold. I could I could understand spending some more money to stay warm. I guess if I'm playing in cold, rainy environments, I hate being cold. So I will pay more money to not be cold. But if it's a summer rainy environment, I think I'm just going to get wet. But that's me. But Harry, we don't only have a $1,000 choice, right? Enesis has a really great value option. Yeah, and I think the whole suit is something like 150, 60 bucks for a rain suit. And it's it's good. Um, That's reasonable. And the thing about this test, this test was the hardest test I've ever conducted at my golf spy. Out of, I think it was 16 or 18 suits... 16 of them or 15 of them were phenomenal. They were really good. All different price points. It was hard to dis- determine which is going to be best and which was going to knock down the pecking order. So the rain gear category is just jumped up huge amounts in three years. Um, so a lot of the rain gear out there now is going to be good. Every time you wash your rain suit, you're washing the waterproof membrane off it gradually so every single wash you're actually making it less waterproof so then for it's irrelevant if you're looking for a rain suit so you have to i i would spend the money to get that once once in a lifetime purchase of that thousand dollar rain suit and make sure it lasts you're gonna come home with a thousand dollar rain suit one day aren't you i'm gonna have to murder you i'm gonna have to do a murder i probably yes but then then you'll get his rain suit yeah, yeah. You and here's the thing about the the top leading brands. They do little things that make a big difference, like uh, juice, 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 juice. So they have like a little filter system in the the wrist. So when water comes down, instead of going onto your hands and gloves, it filters here, stays here. So when you go up, it filters back down your arm. Like little things like that. They put mesh lining in your, in your almost pockets. Almost like a, almost like almost a gutter like a, system. I was <laughs> almost like, like, a, almost yep. like a gutter system. <laughs> but so little weird. things that you don't notice makes a huge difference. The flexibility in your shoulders um, where you are at the top of your backswing where you're going to put more pressure on your shoulder blades. They've, they've put a material that is stretchy. So 
it's not just, all right, it's going to keep you dry. It's going to be functional. You're actually going to shoot better scores because you can swing as easy as you can in a sunny 80 degree weather. Was it the, Adam was telling me, Harry, was it, the, is it the shoe suit that has like a slightly different material, like in the belly section to prevent it from like sagging when you're like bent over or standing over a ball? Uh, yeah, so that's of- a big, that's a big one. That's a good point. Um, they have like a strap that goes, so you can tighten it on, on the middle part of your section and the bottom part. So basically when you crouch down for your putt or your swing, sometimes the material actually bunches and actually gets caught at your you can technically catch it on your uh, rain gear. So they basically made it tailored for the individual golfer. So you're not hitting it with your grip every single time you putt. And I've done that a few times uh, with rain gear. It's so frustrating, especially on longer putts. It's so frustrating. So that little thing right there is a good little bit of secret that you need to look for. So we're going to move on, but everyone should go and check out the Rain Gear Buyer's Guide. If you're in the market for a $1,000 rain suit, it's there. If you're in the market for a $150 rain suit, we've got some options for you there. So take a look, see what would best fit your environment. Uh, But moving on, Chris, I'm excited to get into this topic because so many people say, I'm not doing what I want on the golf course. It's time for me to look at some new clubs. But I kind of want to explore the line between is it your equipment or do you just need old fashioned lessons? What is that line? Where does it start? How do we dig into that? This is such a good and loaded question. Um, I know because there, there's such uh, part of what's difficult about it, right? There's such fallacies on both sides of this thing, right? You can't mm-hmm. just buy a better game. And that's where the equipment stuff comes in where it's like, yeah, if you just walk into a store and, and we've said this a number of times and, and Adam, our owner said this a number of times, right? You're basically buying lottery tickets. You're just picking this one, picking that one. Maybe you get a winner, maybe you don't. And people are on that carousel and just buying, buying, buying. Maybe you find one, maybe you don't. That's the absolute worst way, right, to buy equipment. Um, on the other side, the biggest fallacy, I think, on the educational teaching lesson side is how do you know who a good teacher is? Mm. Right? I mean, someone, I, I, who, someone who helps you improve a part of your game. Right. So how, how do I know who that person is? Like I, I looked up this morning, you know, some of these top 10 lists or whatever, which is basically – my opinion, uh, an entirely outdated methodology is people inside the industry voting for their other buddies inside the industry without mm-hmm. any feedback whatsoever from golfers and their improvement. Like the golfers aren't even taken into consideration in these. And if I want to go see a top 10 teacher in the country, I can pay between 300 and $400 an hour up to roughly $10,000 a day. Well, if what? I'm going to spend that kind of money... You better come in your $1,000 rain suit. And... I might just go buy a new putter instead and go, hey, maybe that'll fix it, right? Because I don't even know if this is going to work or not. I looked at, so I said, okay, well, what if you can't travel, right? So these are like, you know, whatever across the country. What if you can't travel? Just look up in your own state. Cheapest thing that I found was somewhere in the neighborhood of about $2 a minute. So you're going to be $60, $70 for a half hour session, $140, $150. Uh, for an hour. And a lot of times that first two hours is just like a player evaluation, just to kind of see where you're at, right? And see, okay, can we help you? are not kind of, uh, you know, right when you go into a doctor's office and they, you know, check everything out, just kind of get a basic kind of examination of you, your game, strengths, weaknesses, where they can help you improve or not, whatever. And you may be already three, $400 deep 
and you haven't really even started to improve with no guarantee that you are going to improve. And really, no, uh, there's no risk on the teacher side. It's not like you go five lessons, go, hey, haven't improved. Can I get my money back? It's not how it works. So, I mean, I could go on for uh, probably at least another eight, nine, ten hours on this. Yeah, at least another (laughs) 90 seconds because that doesn't even get to uh, this idea of if they can evaluate you for an hour, why can't I go to five different instructors and evaluate them for an hour and see if they're a good fit for me? Hmm. Like a trial period? Well, well, you, well, well trial you, period? You, you, you I can, can I just have to you pay You just have to pay for each hour. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's right. A, but what happens if you're a, a 30 handicap that can't interpret what he is saying? Or you do, or the, the golf pro does dumb down, all right, you just need to do this, that, and that, but you can't implement it yourself. So you're not seeing yourself improve because you physically can't do it. If you can't interpret it, but, then you're at a loss. Right, and, maybe, you... and maybe equipment might be the right way and try and fix it by equipment way. That might yeah, be a thing. Wouldn't you also agree that, that uh, so not going to just one specific player, but over a group of players that better teachers would be able to get more beneficial results uh, for a larger percentage of players over you know a large enough data set? I mean, wouldn't that be a fair... Thing to yes, look at no fair, different than we look at assessment yeah that would we be look a fair at doctors assessment. we look at educators we look at all these other industries and we rank people right if i look at the top 10 heart surgeons in my area i'm not you know i want the person that has the you know the best outcomes most often right well one, I, the heart surgeon you're not helping with the procedure so you're just lying there well, <laughs> if you're if you're if you're a golfer you're actually implementing his <laughs> advice in this swing do you see what i'm saying <laughs> just barely but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's i there's in any teaching learning thing right there's always going to be something that's on the player right absolutely yeah. there's going to be but i would also make the argument as someone that has taught in a classroom for 20 years that you are always battling that idea of here's what i'm going to do but you got to meet me somewhere in the middle and you need to put work time effort and energy into this right in any one scenario, if that person decides not to do that, yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult. But I would argue the best teachers are also able to motivate. They're able to incentivize. They're able to help. They're able to do things to help encourage those behaviors out of their students. If a student doesn't want to work, I get it. That's that's a very difficult proposition how many, for how any many, teacher. How many bad assessments did you get at the end of the year? <laughs> like how many? How many did you? And how many did they correlate to bad grades? Almost universally, right? Where where it's like yeah. people that were successful love the class, love this, right? Whatever. Kids that, oh, the, you know, that test was way too hard. How long do you study? We had a test. You know, I mean, you, you get that, you know, type of situation a fair bit. So sure. I mean, that's, but I guess that's the difficulty, right? Yeah, that's the unbiased part. Tony, you've, you've been quiet. What do you, where do you stand on this? So I think the conversation starts with a, a pretty basic question which what's your level of commitment right what are you willing to put into it because if if you're like yeah you know i i want to i want to fix something in my golf swing and i'm willing to go one time and give a guy an hour and you know hopefully that that solves it and i'm done but that's it then 
then it, that's almost kind of a really what's the point. Um, but if, if the objective is, is to get better and consistently improve, I think lessons are a much better answer than buying new golf clubs. Uh, but again, it is a two-way thing. Like you can't expect the instructor to go, all right, I need you to do this. Here's what I see. Let's, let's work on this thing this week. Right. And that, that's one thing you want to look for in a good instructor, right? You fix one thing at a time and build. You're not, you know, you, if you're building a tower of blocks, for example, you don't (laughs) grab seven of them and just be like, you know, here's six or seven things you need to work on. Right. It's, it's one step at a time. And so. You know, I look for a guy who understands that basic fundamental idea. And and the other thing that I think is important to look for an instructor is, is somebody who isn't necessarily a system guy where it's like, hey, you know, I need you to, everybody has to be here and here and here and then here. It's like, all right, I understand that we all have different physical capabilities and limitations and I need to work within those to deliver a consistent result. That's a big thing. And uh, reputation is another. I'm, I'm extremely fortunate. I have a very good instructor in my area, Anders Matson, Saratoga Springs. Go see him if you're in the area. He, he's certainly the best I've ever worked with. Shameless free plug there. And, and again, it's, it's one of those things too, you need to understand what you're looking for. So for me, it was, there, there are guys who aren't necessarily interested in data. There are teachers who typically, or, or don't work with data. They don't have TrackMan or Foresight or whatever it happens to be. I want to be able to correlate numbers with what I'm, what I'm doing in my swing and go, all right, yeah, that was good because my face to path, for example, was in my normal limit and in, in that range that I'm trying to consistently achieve. Uh, as Chris mentioned, the hard one is right. How do you know who's good? Because it's hard to quantify those results. So I think I think word of mouth is really good. If if there's a guy you play with who you were beating consistently and suddenly he's whooping your ass, and it's because he went to see a guy, maybe you should see that guy. And again, <laughs> you know, like there's hey hey, you're the ass whooping oh, guy. I want to talk. And, to and you. the reputation in the area. So you know, Anders again, going back to shamelessly plugging my guy has sent numerous kids to drive, uh, pitch and putt. So, you know, he's, he's got yeah. kids going to Augusta every year. So that, that to me is a, a pretty solid result because I mean, what golfer wouldn't love to go to Augusta every year. So, you know, it's things well, like that, but yeah. So let, let me phrase it this way. If somebody is thinking that, ah, a new putter, a new driver or something will fit my game, but they are a person who does need lessons. For example, if you're a crappy driver and you hop curbs all the time, or, you know, you, you don't know the rules, a new car isn't going to help you be a better driver. You're still going to hop curbs well, there, in your there are Ferrari and you're going to do more damage. There yeah, are those you, cars you that parallel park do, for you, though. You are gonna, <laughs> the, here's the thing about it, though. If you are one that, that drifts off, I mean, it, you've just got a new car, so you know exactly what I'm going to say. Is if you're driving down a, uh, uh, a motorway and you start veering off the lane, it's got autocorrect and puts you back in. So okay, so there if, is if features. There is there are features that can help you become a better driver if you do that. Or is it just disguising the fact that you're a bad driver? There, there it is, right there. That's... It could be. It could be. It could be that. Because but, okay, yes, I, n- I now have lane correction. Thing. I got a here's new the... Mazda CX-5. It's great. Another shameless plug. I love it, but. If I if I don't pay attention enough that I'm veering out of lanes and it's lane correcting, am I becoming a worse driver because something else is doing it for me? Yeah, but you got to relate this to golf now. So I if, am. if I if I if I slice if I slice yep. this driver, yep, ten times out of the fourteen 
shots that I hit and I'm in the rough on the right, if I get a biased, a draw biased driver, now I'm and now I'm hitting it six out of ten slicing, and now the other the six the other uh, load is now on the fairway. I'm now in a better position to make a better score on that hole. So I think I think that's probably the best example, right? Is the I sliced the driver, so I went out and got something like a Ping SFT or the new Cal- Callaway Big Bertha B21, and 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 now I slice it less, right? That that's one problem, and you can you can less, get to the point, right. especially if you're you're a casual golfer, you just play a few times a year, and you're you're looking for a quick fix, and and not necessarily interested in investing too much time in 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 a solution and right prevention rather than. <clears throat> excuse me, a workaround. So that's a case where, yeah, you can, especially if you're coming from, you know, a non-drive bias vi- uh, driver or you inadvertently ended up with a, with a toe bias driver, that's a situation where, yeah, you can, you can see some improvement with a quick fix, but <laughs> let, let's say, all right, you don't necessarily, like, I'm a good example. I don't, I don't slice the ball off to the right at all. You know, I, I do sometimes hit it out of bounds, but my bigger issue is I don't hit greens. And so, you know that's a that's a case where okay maybe I could move to a more forgiving iron, but there are reasons why the typical in my swing why the typical more forgiving design doesn't necessarily work for me either, and so that's a case where like yeah what what you need to do is is solve this with consistency because you know there's there's not an iron that's going to significantly upgrade my green in regulation percentage right the the solution here is to fix your swing because. I have every I have access to basically every technology driven solution available. I we didn't really it. see I, 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 you know you, you'd see me I'd I'd have hot streaks where yeah. everything would come together. Thirty five, forty five, baby, king uh, yeah. of the eighty. Yeah, yeah, and then but you know two two second two lessons into Anders and I went out and I shot like a seventy nine. And it was an effortless 79. It wasn't those, oh, man, yeah, if, you know, you somehow chipped in three times and buried two 50-footers and, and that kind of thing. It was just like, right. yeah, all right, keep it in play, hit more greens than you miss, and, and make your putts. And that that's all from just having somebody look at it and go, yeah, this is this is what I see that you're doing wrong. This is correctable. Mm-hmm. It's not – none of this stuff is, is rocket science impossible to fix. It's just identifying the problem – coming up with a, a solution that you can implement something you're capable of doing and then getting the reps in that it becomes so that it becomes part of your yeah. internal system, if you will. Yeah. And you know, that, that's something, you know, it takes time. And yes, as you mentioned, Chris, it takes money because uh, you, you have to pay for your instructor's time, but ultimately it's more reliable and more repeatable than going out and dumping $500 on a driver and going, yeah, well, you know, maybe. <laughs> well, and I think, I think to that point though, Tony, I think, you know, it's absolutely worth it if the value is there, right? And and you can't establish value for somebody else, right? So there's value in a thousand dollar rain suit. There's value yeah. in there's value in a <laughs> there's value in a hundred dollar rain suit. And and I think to really simplify it, oh my gosh, you're playing these you know old Wilson staff blades and you can't hit it you know four feet off the ground. We got to get you into something that's higher launching type of spin you need. So we got to get you fit first, and then from there let's see what kind of instruction we need to adapt to that. So it's almost like you need like a, a life coach for golf. Like you said, if you're, if you're coming from a 30 year old set of blades and you can't get them off the ground. Yeah. You know, chances are anything you walk into a golf shop and buy today is going to improve your game by some measure. Uh, but if, if you have relatively new equipment and you know, it's, it's maybe just sort of giving you a, 
some a tiny bit of improvement or or not even real improvement but just sort of like yeah i I see some improvement because i need to to justify the fact that i just spent twelve hundred dollars on new shit and it hasn't really improved my game like i yeah i'm i'm gonna be strongly in the lesson corner every time and that's pretty odd from a guy who's who really needs you to read about golf equipment you, you tinker around so <laughs> to much. afford lessons. If I want to pay for lessons, I need you to really be focused on, uh, on, on golf equipment. equipment so. Well, lots to say on this topic, and I, I think it's a good open-ended topic, and we could revi- revisit this anytime. And what I'm hearing from you guys is no matter how skilled you are as a golfer, lessons are never a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with getting new equipment, but you can never hurt with a good lesson or two. So, um... To wrap up, Harry, do you have an English phrase of the week? I do. And this is for the guy, um, something Armstrong, Donald Armstrong. I know he loves this segment. So (laughs) I need to go spend a penny. I need to go on a shopping spree. I think I know this. I need a head cover. I I need need a tax deduction. (laughs) (laughs) I need a wild weekend with the boys. I need a deductible expense. So this I, is a back back in the day when England um, was older than America was it founded. Still is. It's always been older than America. <laughs> well, you should, you, sorry, yes, yes, it's been it, a long day or so far. Do you have any? Do you have any pictures of you basically, when you were younger? Yeah. Basically, spend a penny when you were out shopping. You had to put a penny into a slot machine ish and to go go for a pee. So you had to spend a penny to go to the toilet. To the bathroom, and so the expression has has lingered, it's, it's uh, stayed. I need to go spend a penny. So there uh, you go. You're welcome, Harry. You have a winner of the head cover that you auctioned off for subscribers and and likes last week, right? Yeah. So this Wingfoot U.S. Open uh, head cover is going to it's Tyler 003. So congratulations. I will be in contact and sending this out to you as soon as possible. Motion to overpronounce the word winged such that it is winged <laughs> winged foot the winged winged foot. winged foot the u.s open at winged foot anybody and we're out no putts given is powered by my golf spy the most extensive reviews in golf before you buy my golf spy nine million readers do it every year Check us out.